Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. So, um, you know, you said you were teary. I'm, I'm the same way. I have been, um, I went back and looked at the talks that we started doing together in 2020, back in January. Mm-hmm. And I think before the shutdown, you and I had co-talked together, which took place in the middle of March. Mm-hmm. You and I had co-talked together five times. Is that with, it? Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Did you think it was more or less? I thought it was more, but well, they, the, I'm just talking about 2020. But, but 20, oh, just in 2020, okay. Just in 2020. All of 2020 feels like dog years to me, anyway. So I'm kind of like, haven't we taught about 700 times together? Yeah. Well, we have since since the, the middle of March. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I went back and looked at what we were doing before we had any idea that there was COVID. And it's really fascinating Hmm. to see what we were bringing to the table, what you were bringing. Um, And um, then I started looking at the things that we did the first couple of of, uh, times when, when COVID had hit and the talks that we gave reflect the fact that we were feeling our way in the dark Oh, heck yeah. I mean, uh, before COVID hit, you and I co-taught a class that we called your, I think this is your idea, Coloring Outside the Lines. Yeah, I remember that one. And And then on March the 15th, we were scheduled to teach together. Yes. Though we didn't know COVID was coming. When we got to church, it was closed down. And we taught a class called, Can You Hear Me Now? The Art of Spiritual Dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the next Sunday's class was titled, How Not to Go to Berserk When Things Fall Apart. <laughs> so how are we doing with that? Are you berserk yet? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. Well, it took us several Sundays to find out. It kind of, you know, we... we I remember we taught a class called Your Nose is Bigger Than Mine. Right. Oh, that Hafiz poem. That Hafiz poem, that wonderful Hafiz poem. You might need to return to that one as we reflect. Yeah. Um, This, you know, it's so interesting because as we were feeling our way along, which I can also put myself right back there as a parent to three kids, we thought, well, we're going to be on spring break for two more weeks, right? Then it was well, maybe we're going to be on spring break for six more weeks. Well, maybe we're going to finish the year out like this. And that's kind of how our class was going. We thought, well, this is just, you know, two weeks and then maybe four weeks and then maybe six weeks. And then maybe we need to figure out the next year. And that was, um, you know, I really, I want to express that there's a vulnerability in that and kind of trying to stay with the moment as the moment is happening and trying to think through something we've never been through before. So we taught, and I'm a seven, 
on the Enneagram. For people who don't know what that means, it means I have a huge insecurity issue around not having a plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to have a plan. And so we came up with a plan and we taught, uh, we based our teachings on, on um, Buddha for the first several months. Yeah. And I got to say too, Holly, I went back and looked at what I was teaching and what you joined me in doing before we ever thought about COVID-19. And if you remember, we did a class or two or three classes on the four immeasurables of love which um, is the um, title that Karen Armstrong gave to her work on Buddha. And um, so we did that, but we also did them again mm -hmm. when we did the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And um, then we took off into Jesus teachings. <laughs> hey, Jesus. <laughs> that done. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I guess it's a, it's sort of serendipitous in a way that here we are on the brink of reopening and we're going to be in, entering a new theme, right? It, it's kind of strange that these things have wrapped up in the timing that they have. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, and I don't want to announce today what that theme is. I want people to be surprised. <laughs> Do but, you think I was going to blurt it out? <laughs> I don't think we've exactly fine-tuned the wording of it, but uh, we need something fresh and new and yeah. hopeful and healing. Um, and I want to say that doesn't um, skirt the issues that are still at hand, you know, healing and hopeful. Yes. I, I for me personally, um, a real attention to holding hope and grief in, in the same hand. Yeah. You know? So I, um, I haven't written beyond much of what I said to you for Sunday. Um, and I will do this probably till you get sick of it. But I, I remember um, as we were having conversations in the big church among the clergy, uh, and it was apparent that um, we were going to close down, yeah. that St. Paul's being so closely tied to the medical center here and the medical community. And uh, we were gonna take our cue, not only from the CDC, but more primarily at that time from what the uh, Houston Medical Center was doing. And they came up with some very strict things and pretty soon so did St. Paul's. Mm -hmm. And um, thankfully we had Tim Leatherwood as our head techie guy and uh, I remember that that first week in March, I was scheduled to give a homily in big church. And I was told that uh, I would be uh, preaching to a camera. And then all of the clergy were at first instructed to do the recording of all of the pieces of worship that we would be doing from our homes. Yeah. So we videoed at home on iPads and iPhones and uploaded it to a folder. Uh, it was just really complicated and, and it wasn't the best quality, but we, we soon got through that. 
And again, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank mm -hmm. you, Tim. If, if, mm -hmm. And if, if this had happened five years earlier, we wouldn't have had the technology yeah. to do it, or it, it's certainly not to do this podcast. Oh, we could have done the podcast. You for think? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It didn't require a lot of video technology, but maybe we need a little like, um, you know, those little Jesus dolls that kind of do do the bobblehead thing. Well, what, but we need one of Tim just a kind of little bobblehead <laughs> patron saint of Tim. <laughs> I, I gave him one and he keeps it on his big uh, monitor board. And, yeah. and um, so it doesn't dance because it doesn't get any sunlight. But yeah. what I was going to say is I got it very early uh, that I, I, I did not want and don't think I could have taught ordinary life alone. So yeah. thank you. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Holly has taught every Sunday except two. I think I've been there every Sunday except one or two. I think every Sunday except one. And that was the one I did with Josh and Lanicia. Yeah. And then, I wasn't there. I was in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. And one Sunday you went somewhere. Yeah. Oh, to, to my Nashville, niece's graduation. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So maybe I've missed three and you've had to. You'd had to do one solo. And I hated that. Yeah. It's not fun it's, to sit and talk hard. to a camera for longer than five minutes. <laughs> it's just hard. But it's, you know, and, and I think, you know, as we sort of jump back into reopening, I'll express that, you know, the joy of that is I feel like we're both going to want to just kind of bask in that glow of having people there for a minute and and but also not to forget that there's still people who won't feel comfortable coming in person yet and mm -hmm. i want to bask in their glow too for remaining mm -hmm. with us and mm -hmm. um want to create some cohesion between those who are there and those who are not there in some ways and and then i have my own sort of anxieties about jumping right jumping in the cdc sort of seems like it made a really quick 180 <laughs> and i have um you know as a counterphobic six which means that i um am fear-based but as the counterpart is that i jump right into my fears instead of <laughs> instead of avoid them but um but there's some anxiety about that too what does it mm -hmm. mean to to sort of jump right back in one of the worries I have is that we will so desire to return to normal that we will bypass some of the need to hold grief. Some of the need, and I know I keep harping on that, but I, I fully believe that as a, as a country, but also as a species, we don't really know how to do grief well. Mm -hmm. And we, we want to find the next best thing. And I was, I was thinking about this Yesterday, I don't really know. I have such mixed feelings even about commemorating, um, and I'm using this in quotes, the anniversary of the day that George Floyd was murdered. It, it feels like something that's not, it's not to be commemorated with joy it, it, at all. But, you know, that was yesterday. And, and two, two things that I just sort of occurred to me was one, um, when, Derek Chauvin's verdict came down that he was guilty on all charges. My first thought was of the young woman who filmed it. Not in the sense that I wanted to 
deify her or, or he hero, make her a hero. She is. However, I thought, my God, the grief and the trauma and the fear that she's been holding. And then yesterday, Josh shared with me, which I shared with you, the, the tweet that she, or the statement that she issued, it's her first public statement in a year of this very fact that she has been holding on to nightmares and fear and grief about that moment, that that was an awful moment for her and her nine-year-old cousin to witness. And I think that that's part of our process. How do we grieve that? How do we grieve the over 3 million people worldwide who have been lost to COVID? How do we grieve this coming back to one another in ways that we've not done yet? Um, how do we grieve the division that's really loud in our own country and even in our own families um, right now because of different beliefs and, you know? I, I, I cannot find this woman's name who read this piece on the last word last night. The, the young woman who videoed that and who wrote that piece, that piece was read by a poet writer in residence at Vanderbilt University on the uh, the last word show. And I'm, I apologize for not remembering her name. Barbara something, I believe. Um, anyway, it was powerful, just yeah. powerful. Um, that's another thing that we had to deal with during this, this year uh, was, um, that murder and the fact that we all saw it and saw it again and again and again, like when the planes crashed into the twin towers. Oh, I had and, the exact thought. <laughs> and yeah. it it, um, it caused, and I'm so grateful to you for re-emphasizing the meaning of the word apocalypse as an unveiling and it mm -hmm. unveils something that we cannot now unsee and this is why I want to caution us to stay away from the phrase return to normal. Mm -hmm. It's not a helpful phrase. Mm -hmm. The normal that we had before COVID and before the murder of George Floyd is not a good normal. No, no, it's not. And I can appreciate how um, people who have not been aware of the levels of systemic injustice, how this feels completely overwhelming. And how do I jump into some space there? How do I, the, the first question that so many ask is what do I do? And I, I think what that exposes in us is how difficult it is just to, to be with, just to sort of be in silence, to be in meditation, to feel overwhelmed, frustrated, scared. It's so difficult for us to just be with. Mm -hmm. And I put myself in that too. I'm not removing myself from that. It's, it's like some days forcing myself to stop and just sit with and just acknowledge what's going on in my sort of mind and body, you know? I am in the process of reading Barbara Van Taylor's book, Freeing Jesus. 
And the, Diana the Butler Bass or Barbara mm -hmm. Brown Taylor? Diana Butler Bass? Diana Butler Bass. Sorry. <laughs> These I get ladies with three names. I get, I, I get them confused. <laughs> That's all right. So I'm reading her book, Freeing Jesus, primarily because she's coming to speak at St. Paul's in partnership with um, Ordinary Life in September, I believe. And I thought, since she is going to speak at the Ordinary Life Hour, and, and when she's here, that, that might be a dialogue between the two of us, and I'd love to have the have read the book so the chapter that i finished this morning was the chapter on um her understanding of jesus as lord and in that chapter she talks about what happened in evangelical christianity in the united states that married right leaning political persuasion in the United States to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And it was a movement started primarily by Jerry Falwell mm -hmm. called the Moral Majority. Mm -hmm. And then of course, Jimmy Carter was elected president and, and he was openly evangelical, but quite um, involved in issues of social justice, the habitat for humanity and that sort of thing. But for the first time, the American flag was put up alongside the Christian cross. Yeah. And um, it's been a, it's not been a good marriage. It's not been good for the, for religion and certainly not been good for the country. So yeah. anyway, we've had a lot to deal with during this COVID stuff. Yeah. For sure. I don't think it's done. <laughs> you know, um, I had um, one of our ordinary life members, and I had a long conversation last Sunday that I've told you about, in which she is pretty adamant that Holly Hudley continues to teach in ordinary life because, as she put it, you're smart, you're young, mostly you're female. And she said, don't take offense, but we just don't need to hear from an old white guy. <laughs> well, thank goodness we know and love this old white guy. <laughs> anyway, but it's true. We need the perspective and you have a whole different, I uh, think, appeal to an entirely different demographic than I do. And so just to let everybody know, Holly and I are going to continue working out a co-teaching arrangement going forward. We'll not teach together every Sunday, but um, sometimes we will. Sometimes I will teach. Sometimes Holly will teach. And sometimes we'll, each of us have other people teaching with us. I haven't got a date from him yet, but today I'm going to have a conversation with Dr. Jim Bankston. Yeah who everybody loves this served St. Paul's in such a wonderful way for 19 years. He and I are going to co-teach in a few weeks and uh, I'm openly unapologetic about this is the way I'm trying to build a crowd because <laughs> people will come to hear Jim that probably won't come to hear you or me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I love Jim. I I'm, I'm grateful to him in so many ways because I think he took, um, 
he was courageous in taking a necessary stand when it wasn't as popular to do so. And um, in many ways, that was such an example for a young person to, to, to have a voice, you know, to, to, to hold on to a voice that believed in um, an inclusion and justice. And, you know, you and I ha- are certainly imperfect and have not done this perfectly, but I think our hearts are, we want to be as inclusive and as sort of justice and compassion oriented as possible. And that's mm-hmm. the example of Jesus, right? And, and this Jewish mystic that we model ourselves after or try to, it's just, um, actually, you know, I've been thinking, um, you know, I'm an artist um, and have, was formally trained as one. And even though that's not how I quote unquote make, uh, <laughs> bring home the bacon, <laughs> that it, it's just something that will always and has always been part of me. And I asked a friend once, you know, if I stop um, making and selling stuff, does that mean I'm not an artist anymore? And he said, no, you know, being an artist is a lot about the way that you um, curate your life, the way that you, um, it could just be like an environment, the way you curate your home, but also the way that you engage creatively with the world. And I've been reading and rereading James Baldwin's essay on the creative process. It's, I've sent it to you, I think it's about three pages, four pages um, of a PDF, but it's also in um, his book of essays that I have. And I've been thinking about us, Bill, like artists. And, you know, an artist's job is to reveal. And that's, so to be apocalyptic in a way. Mm -hmm. And apocalyptic we so often think of like the end of something but I also think that apocalyptic can also show someone who they are can be a mirror how can we reveal or help reveal some of the deep-seated fears hopes desires of others too you know Um, but I'll read a little bit about you know about what James Baldwin says he says basically like The artist's purpose is to make the world a more human dwelling place. Mm. And I'd like to think that that's what you've been trying to do all these years, what we're trying to do together. We're not trying to expose an escape hatch plan, but to say, how can this place be a more human, and we might even say humane dwelling place? Yes. And, and, um, so, and you and I could probably have this conversation in public going forward, but to talk about the role that, for example, the great spiritual teachers and leaders like Jesus and Buddha and Confucius and uh, others have, uh, uh, in, in terms of leading us forward, into this um, territory where we see new things or maybe old things in a new way in such a way that leads to the two things that Jesus emphasized more than any other thing. And one of those was his emphasis on wholeness or healing. And the other was on inclusion. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
I, I remember somebody kind of challenging some of what I had taught some years ago by saying, but don't you know that Jesus saves people? And I said, well, how does that happen? And he said, well, Jesus died for our sins. You know, that old thing. And I said, you know, uh, I don't agree with that theology because mm -hmm. Jesus saved a lot of people before he ever died. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He saved them by seeing them. And he saved them by including them. Yeah. And that's how, that's why the movement got started is that uh, around this guy, they had such a sense of newfound freedom and joy that they were exuberant. Yeah. And um, they didn't give allegiance to the powers that be. So they started killing them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, you know, this, that's the, the apocalypse in a way is is the revealing one to oneself and that's um i think how jesus healed let me reveal mm -hmm. you to yourself mm -hmm. let me show you who you really are mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. you know I'm, uh, the other um book i'm reading right now is into the deep by uh, Catherine keller mm -hmm. face of the deep sorry but um and she talks a lot about that transcendence of going beyond the moment that we think it all began and into the spaces of silence, into the spaces of the unknown, into the spaces where creativity occurs. Mm -hmm. um, and you've talked about this before, you know, she expresses that as a, as, as a, as a feminine move and Jesus in that, um, icon that you love so much that you have on the first slide for ordinary life expresses the masculine and the feminine, the wild and the, the mundane, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's this, this heroic idea of Jesus is one that I think we kind of need to shed. I remember once my son asked me, mommy, just, if we got in a car crash would Jesus come out of the sky and save us. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> no, uh, you know, Jesus isn't a superhero, which is a very, male version of Jesus, Jesus will save you, you know? Um, and the feminine of Jesus is Jesus will give birth to you. Jesus will birth you unto yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And as you know, that's been overlooked for approximately 2000 years. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Jesus didn't come out of the sky. Jesus came out of the earth. Yeah, just like the just rest like of us. us. Yeah. yeah, just like us. Yeah. And um, so I, I'm um, I'm giving the sermon Sunday at yeah. St. Paul's. We will only have one service at St. Paul's on Sunday. And then um, I think the truth through the summer, I don't remember when, maybe in July, we're going to go back to two services. I don't know when we'll try to do three we just have to see all of it's um, up for grabs right now. But Seems the like title things are changing the, every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah. The, the, the title I've given to the sermon I'm going to give is Moving Forward by Standing Firm. Mm. And I'm going to say there are some principles that we need to stand on and for that have been revealed more clearly to us be um, uh, 
I'm sorry I got distracted off. So did I by the same thing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, we got to talk about this. Yeah. We got to talk about this. Yeah. But, uh, any, anyway, the, there are some things that have been revealed to us about um, matters of justice and injustice, uh, matters of basic fairness, mm-hmm. and um, that we just have to continue to keep in front of us, not in terms of trying to make to, to make uh, feel people feel bad or to be judged, but to say, you know, here's some directions where if we don't go, we're going to repeat. We're going to have the same old history. Mm-hmm. I, I, I brought yesterday's Chronicle to my desk. Mm-hmm. Um, the lead story is about if Texas can fix the broken uh, power grid. Right. But um, the front page has the stories, as you can see. One year later, Houstonians reflect on the killing of George Floyd. And, and the story that lives. is right next to it. Mm-hmm. No permit handgun bill, nearly state law. Yeah. That's passed. And what we both got distracted by was from our dear friend, Richard Wingfield, who just sent us a text of, look what Texas is about to sign into law. And that's, um, to me, terrifying um, for a lot of reasons. And I don't mean to disrespect um, people who are handgun owners. I know some and I respect them and believe in their sanity, but I just can't even understand why a permitless carry is an okay law. And we're not the first state to pass this into law, by the way, we're the 18th or 19th. So I think there's just a level of the short term is WTF. I don't think I'm allowed to say it in our podcast. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why people want this law. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's both strong opposition to it and strong people for it. Um, I think that what it reflects is an emphasis on the individual, my individual rights, my need to protect my individual self, all of that sort of thing that is a path to communal destruction. Mm -hmm. I've already said that if I go into a business establishment and someone is openly carrying a firearm, I'm turning around and walking out and I will not do business with that company again. Yeah. Exactly. And you got to wonder like what, you know, national chains like Target, for example, who have on their window, no open carry in this store. How will that be affected by state law? It seems like they're not, you know, they're bound by more national law, but it's just interesting. And how we Texans are, we are known for our wildness. We are known for our independence. I love some of those qualities and how that shows up in in Texas. And on the very same hand, it shows up as, as you say, as a very individualistic frame of mind. Um, Mm -hmm. I was reading, I was rereading something in Diarmu Omiraku's book, um, When the Disciple Comes of Age, because we were, you know, we've been reflecting on that for much of the year too. And he was talking about how um, Jesus's vision for the world was a uh, kind of uh, interdependent companionship and that the, the radical word there is companionship. How do we actually um, 
empower each other in a mutual way so that the individual is not lifted up. And, and he talked about, remember that pyramid that I drew early in the year, how for Jesus, it was never a pyramid. It was never about the power at the top, but a circle where there's no end, no beginning, no hierarchy, no displacement. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, that, that image of the circle, and I want to even say a spiral, an expanding, an ever-expanding move, is just not prevalent when, we ex when I experience laws like this. Mm -hmm. you know, when I experience laws like this, I think, gosh, we're still on the ladder, trying to get one above the other, one above the other. Mm -hmm. I don't, I want to know how to make us more circular. <laughs> well, the, the official religion of the United States is consumerism. Mm -hmm. And consumerism has a strong element in it of competition. Yes. And the way that uh, even in, even in our schools, um, you're judged better than if comparison. And um, I, when I was in training in clinical psychology in 1967, the first textbook that we were assigned was Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. And one of the first I don't think it was a lecture. It was the psychiatrist supervisor that was working with us said, um, one of the worst things that you will see in patients who come into the hospital is depression. Mm -hmm. And most depression comes from what he called invidious comparison. He said, if you can work with the principle of equality, and Holly, this was in 1967. Oh, gosh. He said, if you can work with the principle of equality in your personal life, it will take you home. Mm -hmm. And I've never forgotten that. And I have thought, you know, the minute that I put somebody down, I depress them. Yeah. The minute I put somebody up, I depress myself. Yeah. And I know that's not the only origin of depression, but I do think that, that the message that a lot of people get, and I certainly have seen it in my practice over the years, is the message people have of, I'm not good enough. Oh, gosh. I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. Mm -hmm. All of that. And I want to keep saying one of the ways that Jesus healed people was that he looked past what they thought defined them and said, I see you as who you really are. Mm -hmm. He didn't so, pull any magic tricks about, that's right. you know, it was like, I see you. Yeah. Your blindness doesn't define you. Yeah. That's the transcendence, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, you, you use the words like past and maybe a phrase that could also be used is looked deeper, looked into. Mm -hmm. I, I see you. I, as you were talking about Victor Frankl, you know, I um, just recently read that. So here we are, how many years later, 50, 60 years later, and mm -hmm. um, that book is still relevant, just like Baldwin's writings, just like MLK's writings. Um, and I just really quickly opened it and I thought, gosh, what, are, what, are, what do I have highlighted there? And my page opened to exactly this. The salvation of man is through love and in love. Full stop. 
Mm -hmm. And the question is, how do we do love? You know, that's one we are still wrestling with. It sounds like such a nice idea. And when it comes down to it, all of us struggle with loving people who are so different from us that we can't find a common ground. Mm -hmm. You know, how hard must it have been for Viktor Frankl to turn that love toward the Nazis who abused him and his fellow prisoners, you know? And that is the question. How do we love people into being their true selves so that we may all exist in a greater, in a, in a circle? There's a man, actually he's in Texas and I don't wanna say uh, too much about him. I'm not sure he's still alive. He may, he may be deceased by now, um, but he is one of the two people that Victor Frankl literally physically handed his legacy, half his legacy to, and said to this man, I want you to continue my teaching in the United States. And I have studied with this guy in the past, long time ago, and what impressed me about him was two things. One, he was so happy. Yeah. And two, he was in a wheelchair. And yeah, so much of he, Victor Frankl's view or psychology, the logos, right? Yeah. Was about finding meaning looking forward. Right. Um, he could and not he have found that. meaning if he kept seeing himself as a prisoner in concentration camps. Right. He had to transcend and include that experience. Right. And see himself as more. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one of Victor. Uh, that's one of Richard Rohr's favorite phrases that he uses over and over, that I've gotten from him is transcend and include. Mm -hmm. Transcend is, and include. Yeah. So um, I didn't get to ask you, mm -hmm. and I, we, I don't know, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but what's this past year teaching been like for you? you have you, what have you done with all the money you've made? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Um, People, Holly has done this out of the, the graciousness of her heart. Well, I, you know, but I've said to you, um, it's kind of like a Padawan Jedi relationship. Uh, and for those who are not Star Wars buffs, um, <laughs> I'm forced to be, I have three sons who love it and a husband who does too. Um, you know, the Jedi is the, the Jedi is the Buddha of the Star Wars land. The Jedi is the Christ figure of, um, let me teach you the ways of love. Let me teach you how to use the force for good, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And the Padawan is the trainee of the Jedi. And so I, I've, I've gotten to see it very much like that. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, my, so much of my PhD work is around um, uh, our, our moral evolution our spiritual evolution and how do we hold that in this sort of human becoming toward inclusion and anti-racism, et cetera. And Phil, my dad said to me, you know, it's kind of like you're getting two PhDs, <laughs> one that you're paying for and one that you're not, you know, and, and, and I think that's high praise. Um, mm. So for me, it's been, um, I feel so fortunate to have been able to hold this space this year with you. Thank you. And that I couldn't have done it without you. It. Oh, well, me neither. <laughs> And I'm glad we've gotten to do it together. 
I hope it's been rich for people. I hope it continues to be rich for people. So next week, we're going to talk about our new theme. Yeah. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, So this Sunday, we're going to review, we're going to reflect. And I just had this memory real quickly. One of the things also that occurred this year was the uh, watching a film that, that wormed its way into my heart and head as much as any film I've seen in the last 10 years called In and of Itself. Yeah. And I hope people have had a chance to see that. Have you read A Moral Man yet? I It's my next book because, you know, now I get to read a few books for pleasure while I'm on summer break. Um, okay. I'm finishing a detective novel right now. That's of utmost importance. Got to figure out who done it. Okay. <laughs> and that's next. So, Yeah. The last, the last fiction book I just finished reading this week was one of the most beautifully written books I've ever read. Also a very dark book mm. uh, written by Carson McCormick called um, All the Pretty Horses. Oh, gosh, yeah. I've read that whole, I think it's a trilogy. It's, yeah, um, yeah Cities it, of the Plain, All the Pretty Horses, and Bloodlines, it, maybe? I can't remember. Um, Country for Old Men or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's, I don't think I'm going to read any more of him right now pretty dark stuff i get sucked into that stuff i kind of want to test myself how much can i sort of handle about this is so counterphobic six of me let me just dive in and see how much i can take <laughs> anyways well, i will see you sunday all righty thanks bye see you soon